Let's pray together. What a, what a blessed truth, God, to be able to sing, to know that you're uh, unchanging, steadfast, uh, you'll never leave us or forsake us. Uh, our pledge, our hope as we sing this song is to hold on to you, but I know in my own life that that's not always a guarantee. I'll turn to my own ways. I'll rely on my own strength. Um, I'm grateful that even in those times, God, you hang on to us, uh, that nothing can pluck us from your hand, that uh, um, your presence in our lives is sure and your grace is sufficient. So I'm grateful this morning. And we stand in this room uh, praying to you, even though I'm the only one talking. We're, we're praying these things to you, God, and asking you uh, for a couple things. First of all, you'd open our eyes to, your, to the words that your scriptures give us this morning, that we would have them illuminated by your spirit, that we would leave this place knowing what you hope for us and uh, willing to surrender to it as uh, we walk this life with you. I want to pray, and we want to pray, God, that you would bless this offering. Uh, you've given us everything that we have, and this is just a small portion uh, of, of, of what we want to give back to you, of what you deserve from us. Uh, use it for your glory. I want to pray over the families represented in this room, over the individuals, uh, uh, each one. Uh, you know their story. You know what's going on in their lives. I've prayed this morning with people who are jobless for the first time in 30 years, with uh, families who are falling apart. I've rejoiced with those who've uh, gotten good news uh, of a diagnosis. And uh, we're all different stories, God, but you know each one. And you know what each one of us needs. Uh, you have numbered the hairs on our heads, and uh, you love us. Uh, so, Lord, help us to, to know you and to follow you, to trust you. And uh, get me out of the way, God, as I speak these words to us this morning so we can do that. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to someone and say hi. Welcome to Bay Life before you sit down. Do you love Kidapalooza? <laughs> On your feet, are you guys ready? Who wants to play a game? Not bad. That's hilarious. New York to LA. That's right. We had a great week at Kidapalooza. Forty kids put their faith in Jesus Christ. We want to celebrate that. Yay, God. I'm sorry I missed it. I was in India. I'll tell you a little bit about that in a second here, but uh, just so grateful that we had just an awesome week. All of the uh, reports that I've had have been that uh, kids had fun. Over 350 of you guys uh, gave your week to make that happen. Thank you so much for that. And God brought a harvest. Forty kids put their faith in Jesus Christ. May God lead them always in life. If you have your Bibles, open them with me to Acts chapter 19. It's good to be back with you. I spent the last couple weeks in a country called India. Have you heard of it? It's over there. And uh, it was a beautiful time uh, spent there with some uh, new friends. I'd, I'd never been to that country before. I was invited to go and uh, pray about whether or not our church would link arms with some ministers over there. Uh, so as we talk about being on the road, I've been on the road. I want to show you some pictures here. Uh, just briefly, these are some of the pastors that I uh, got to hang out with for a week and a half. They are a part of a ministry that uh, the English words I can't pronounce, but they start with A, D, and P, and they basically mean in English, Doors of Hope. They're part of Doors of Hope ministry, and they are a ministry that has uh, been given the vision, the dream of planting a thousand Christian churches in the state of Maharashtra, which is where Mumbai and a lot of the other big cities in India are there on the east coast of the country. Uh, they are in a... Uh, well, in a, in a great arc towards that, they've got over 200 churches planted. They've been training pastors for the last 10 or 15 years towards that end. It's becoming increasingly difficult 
because the Hindu government in India is, is shutting the doors to Christianity uh, wherever it can and uh, making it very difficult for the Christian faith to expand in that country. But uh, they persist. Um, they, uh, uh, they love the Lord and they want people to love them too. So just had some rich times of worship, got to preach in some churches, trained some pastors, uh, but came back with a heart. Uh, not so much for Indian food, sorry if you're from there, but, uh, but definitely with a heart for the Indian church and for the Indian people who are leading it. Um, this guy right here, his name's G2. I always thought of the Gatorade drink, but his name is G2. Uh, and he and these other guys, uh, this is Joseph, and uh, if you get a close-up on him, he's the Indian Eddie Murphy. He looks exactly like Eddie Murphy, just so we called him the Indian Eddie Murphy. Anyway, uh, but it was just a great time. These guys are all young pastors. They love the Lord, and uh, uh, so we're going to figure out how God would have us uh, work with them in spreading the gospel in their region of India. India's uh, a, a, an amazing place. Uh, we didn't get a whole lot out of the cities. We're mostly larger cities. Uh, Mumbai, millions of people, 21 million people in Mumbai. But uh, 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 some of the things that Hinduism has done to the country is it made uh, livestock uh, untouchable. You can't, you can't get a burger in India <laughs> because they don't kill the cows and uh, turn them into meat. They believe they're their ancestors. And so they'll just let them walk around. This is actually a video. This is our hotel. We're in downtown Pune, India, five million people city. And these are just uh, cows that are uh, walking down the main street in the middle of the day uh, in India. It was amazing. This isn't the only thing over there. It's wonderful. Lots of great things. But I thought this was kind of peculiar and worth sharing with you. There's no farmer following these cows. They're just in traffic. There they are. So, uh, yeah, I think, yeah, almost done. You can turn it off. Okay, thank you. So thanks for praying for me if you did. I'm sorry I wasn't here to start this series, but I'm here to pick up where we left off as we talk about being on the road. We are now in our third summer talking about the book of Acts, uh, which if you are unfamiliar with the Bible and the, and the books that are in it, the Bible's 66 individual books. It's kind of like a library of books. And this particular book, the book of Acts, tells the story of the early church, the first Christians who formed the first churches uh, there in the first century in Jerusalem and then throughout the Mediterranean. We are now 19 chapters in. We're, we're up to a part of the story that includes a guy named Paul who wrote most of your New Testaments. Uh, he, uh, he was basically utilized by God and led by the Holy Spirit to plant churches in lots of different places. Uh, he's been on the road in the story. Even last week as Travis was talking to you, I appreciate Shane and Travis speaking on my behalf. When I was gone, they did a great job. Uh, but Travis talked about this guy named Apollos who was here last week. Anybody hear about Apollos? Okay. So Apollos is, is certainly would be on the, Mount, the early Mount Rushmore of church communicators. He was a, a stud, but he didn't have the whole story when he started preaching. And so you remember uh, two uh, people, Priscilla and Aquila, kind of made sure that he knew what was going on. And that was the story we left off with last week. But now he's moved on. He's in a place called Corinth. Apollos has moved on. And in his place, here comes Big Daddy Paul. Uh, Paul is coming back to Ephesus the church has been planted there, and he's going to continue uh, the work that was started before him. Uh, so can we pick up there? I don't have a whole lot of opening stories. Can we just start? Cool, here we go. So chapter 19, verse 1 starts like this. It says, and it happened that while Paulus was at Corinth, he left Ephesus and went there, Paul passed through the inland country, and he came to Ephesus, and there he found some disciples. So without reading on, what do you think of immediately when you hear the word disciples? Disciples of who? Disciples of Jesus, right? That's what you'd think when you read disciples. That's why you have to be very careful when you read the Bible. Because these guys aren't disciples of Jesus yet. They're just disciples. The word disciples just means followers. These guys were followers of someone or something, but they weren't followers of Jesus. And we're going to find that out because Paul's going to ask them one of the telltale signs of following Jesus. He asks them this in verse 2. He says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And these guys say, no. In fact, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. What is this Holy Spirit that you speak of? Can we all assume now that these guys are not followers of Jesus Christ? Here's one of the reasons you can't assume that. Because when you follow Jesus Christ, the Bible's very clear. At the point of conversion, at the point when you receive Jesus by faith and through grace, or through by grace and through faith, I always get the prepositions wrong there. But anyway... But as soon as you find Jesus, guess what happens? The Holy Spirit indwells you. He comes into your life, and he is a part of your life. Now, some of you are like, okay, Mark, that's cool, but who's this Holy Spirit 
that you speak of. Depending on what church you might have grown up in, if you grew up in a church at all, uh, he was either de-emphasized, right, angry Baptists, we didn't talk about the Holy Spirit, or overemphasized, the Pentecostal phase, the charismatic phase, uh, you can kind of get overemphasized in those environments. Um, we try to stay somewhere in the middle and make sure that uh, the Holy Spirit is emphasized enough and not overemphasized in our faith. And so I want to just do like 10 minutes, if I can, on the Holy Spirit. Can we do that? It's about two seminary classes uh, lasting a sem- uh, semester each, but I'm going to do it in 10 minutes because I'm just that crazy. Here we go. Everybody understand that God is three in one? That We believe that God is three in one. He is God the, God the, and God the, when you read the Old Testament, almost always you're dealing with God the Father. It's not that the Son and the Spirit aren't mentioned in the Old Testament, but when you read about the history of the Jewish faith and the Jewish people, you're dealing with Abba, with Yahweh, God the Father. When you come to the Gospels, almost uh, specifically there, you're dealing with God the Son. It's the story of Christ and his arrival here on earth and his life and, and death and his resurrection. That's God the Son. And when, then when you deal with the church... And what follows in the New Testament, they're called the epistles in the, in the story of the book of Acts. Uh, you're now dealing with the effects or the outcomes of the uh, presence of the Holy Spirit on the early followers of Jesus Christ. Now, that is not to say that God the Father is not spoken of in the, in the back part of your New Testaments or God the Son is not referenced in the Old Testament. They're all present. They are all God, uh, but they are just revealing themselves or manifesting themselves in these three different ways. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. All God, three essences, all one. One of the best arguments, the word Trinity doesn't exist in your Bible. Uh, It's kind of a a systematic theologian term that helps us understand and quantify what we see in the scriptures about God and his nature. But uh, uh, we see the Trinity present like at at the baptism of Jesus, it's probably one of the more classic ones where you see the Trinity and the persons of God uh, present in one place. God the Son goes into the water. He's baptized by his cousin John the Baptist, who we're going to read about in just a second. Uh, God the Father says, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. Okay? And God the Holy Spirit descends on the Son as, a, as, a, as it were a dove. Right, And so right there, in just a few verses, the Trinity is revealed. Okay, everybody with me on the Trinity? Some of you are like, yeah, let's go. But some people might not have known, all right? So the Holy Spirit. What role does the Holy Spirit play in our lives? Well, this is what we're going to kind of spend the rest of our time talking about. How does the Holy Spirit, or this person of God, uh, how does he function in the, in the Christ life that we seek to live? Uh, these guys in, in John the Baptist didn't know anything about him. And I think a lot of times when we come to church, people don't know anything about the Holy Spirit. Uh, they sing about him in the songs. Maybe they're aware of his existence but they don't understand what his purpose is in their lives. If they're kind of like uh, uh, things that we have in our pockets and we didn't know they could do that. Like I, I was on my phone the other day uh, in the car with Eleanor and I forgot that I had to do something in work on Monday and so I, I boop, boop, hit Siri and I said, Siri, remind me to call so-and-so tomorrow, or Monday at 3 o'clock or something like that and I put it down and I turned to my wife and her eyes were as big as saucers and she was like, Siri can do that? I was like, well, yeah, I've been using Siri to do that since I got this phone. And she's like, are you saying that I can give myself reminders like that on my phone? And she was so excited because she had no idea that this phone could do this. I, uh, I, 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 well, I didn't lose. A member of my family uh, lost one of our keys to the truck that we own. It's a, uh, something that happens from time to time in my house. And so I had to get a new key, keyed for our truck, and a new fob to open the truck up. It's one of those... Uh, you know, so I was, uh, got on YouTube so I could program this fob and uh, uh, did so, but uh, stumbled onto a function that I had no idea was in this truck. If you hit the key fob, uh, doors open twice really fast, guess what happens in my truck? The windows roll down. Who knew that? I did not know that. Oh, what a glorious thing. I mean, I don't, I don't need that, but how cool is that, Right? And so now I'm just wearing out my truck. I'm like, beep, 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 you know, and the windows are rolling down every time I get in. It's like, I had, I've owned this truck for three years. I had no idea it could do that. I, I feel like that's how, I'm sorry if I'm telling stupid stories, but I feel like that's, that's how the Holy Spirit is with a lot of people at church. They, they have him. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, he's in there. And he's not partially in there. This might not be the time to bring this in. I don't believe that there's second blessings or third blessings. I believe that when you get the whole Holy Spirit, he comes full on, full out, He's in there. You may not realize he's in there. You may not be utilizing him 
uh, in ways that uh, he could be helpful to you. But the Holy Spirit, if you're a Christian, he's all in and he's all there. Are you with me? So let's talk about the Holy Spirit. Let's do some Holy Spirit 101. Who wants to do Holy Spirit 101? Anybody? Ten minutes. Here we go. I'm already four minutes into ten minutes. But here we go. Uh, John the Baptist, who we're going to find out as a player in these guys' early uh, discipleship, these, these guys that Paul's talking to in Acts chapter 19, John the Baptist knew about the Holy Spirit. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, speaking on the Messiah. His sandals I'm not even worthy to carry. He couldn't even carry this guy's gym bag. Uh, he will baptize you with the who? The Holy Spirit. And then he uses another qualifier, and with fire. Uh, he's basically saying, listen, I, I dunk in water. I get people ready. I tell people to repent. Prepare you the way for the Lord. He's coming. Get ready for the Messiah's arrival. And, and so people are, you know, expecting the Messiah to come. But I'm just a, I'm, I'm a water dunker. I'm just putting people in water and popping back out. When, the, when Jesus comes, he's not going to uh, simply dunk us in water or, or call for that kind of a obedience. He's going to, when we meet him and put our faith in him, he's going to baptizo. He's going to baptize us, which in its strictest form means to submerge. But it's, it's also a meaning, the word of, of baptizo means to identify with. He's going to identify with or connect us to the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, the Bible tells us in other places, is going to seal us in himself. He's going to surround us by himself. That's like the picture of baptism. We go fully in. We are submersed in, surrounded by the Holy Spirit. It also says in, in, in 1 Corinthians 12 that we drink in the Holy Spirit, that he indwells us. It's like it's this full encompassing of yourself if you are a follower of Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. He also calls him fire here. And that goes to the kind of the work of the Holy Spirit. The, the Holy Spirit's like, like a blowtorch. Here's what I mean. <laughs> he's he's going to burn off the you in you and leave nothing but the Jesus in you in, in its stead. His, his, his role in your life is to convict you, as we're going to see, of sin, of righteousness, of judgment. He's, he's, he's here to convince you to be more like Christ and less like yourself. And he's actually going to be the blowtorch that burns that stuff that isn't Christ off of you. Some of you are like, ooh. No, but it's a good thing. It's a refiner's fire. It's a thing, uh, or the thing, that, that the Holy Spirit is sent to do in our lives. Jesus taught on the Holy Spirit many different occasions, but here in this book of Acts, he's uh, talking to his, his disciples as he's about to leave and uh, head to heaven to prepare a place for us. He's going to resurrect and uh, spend uh, this period that we're awaiting his second return uh, in glory, but he says to these, his disciples, uh, don't depart from Jerusalem. While staying with him, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said... You heard from me. You heard about this promise. Uh, verse 5 says, uh, for John baptized with water. Hey, that's what we are just talking about. But you will be baptized, and he says it here, with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. Well, if you keep reading in the book of Acts, what day is that? In Acts chapter 2, what happens? Starts with P, sounds like Lentecost. Pentecost. Who got that one? Way to go. Pentecost is this special day in the Christian faith. It's because it's the day that signifies the, the, the coming of the Holy Spirit into the church age and his investing uh, the disciples with the power, in that specific case, to speak in tongues and languages that they did not know, uh, to preach boldly the gospel, to the point that when the gospel had been preached by Peter, 3,000 people trusted Jesus in one day and off the church went. Uh, it all contended, contended con that's not a word, hinged on, let's do that, can we do that? It all hinged on the arrival of the Holy Spirit. So what can we say about the Holy Spirit? Lots of stuff. Two semesters of seminary worth. But let me say these things in the time that I have with you. Jesus was teaching his disciples about the Holy Spirit as he was preparing to head in Jerusalem and give his life. And in John chapter 16, verse 7, he's, he's trying to convince them that it's a good thing that he goes away uh, so that the Holy Spirit can come. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, that I die on the cross and, and raise from the dead. In fact, that, that's his whole reason for coming. He couldn't convince these guys that his whole purpose in, in, in being on the earth was not to you know, push the Romans off the throne or, or to take charge like they were hoping he would do. His whole reason for coming to earth was to go to the cross, to die, to take your sins and mine upon himself, and then to be uh, resurrected from death as a signal as a sign that you and I could conquer the grave as well. He says, that's the whole crux. That's the whole, crux means cross. That's the whole thing that I'm trying to do here. And at every turn, his disciples said, no way. May it never be. Peter got so mad at him once, he said, they're going to have to kill me first. And remember what Jesus says to him? In essence, Jesus says, uh, get thee behind me, 
He calls one of his best buddies the devil. Uh, but they just didn't understand that this is why he was here. And so he's arguing one more time. He says, listen, it's, it's a great thing that I, I go to the cross, I go to the grave, and I go back to the Father. For if I do not go away, the Helper, capital H, signifying the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And this is what he's going to do. Holy Spirit 101. When he comes, he will convict the world. Con- convict there is, is a, not a noun, it's a, it's, a, it's a verb, and it's basically a word that was used, a Greek word, elenkon, elenkon, uh, that was used in the courts. And, and if you were trying to convict someone of a crime, you would argue before the judge and convince the judge that whatever that was true about this person was true so they could be convicted. So when you think convict, uh, think of the word convince, argue. He's going to convince us, uh, uh, show us the truth about ourselves, show us the truth about this life. That, that's the Holy Spirit's job. He's a, he's a guide. He's a truth teller. He's a convincer and a convictor. And the three things he's going to convict us of, read them with me, or what are they? Concerning sin. And what's the next one? Righteousness. And what's the third one? All right. So let's talk about those. When the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, it says in John 16, 9, uh, that concerning sins, he convicts us of sin because they, the people, Jesus says, don't believe in me. <laughs> Uh, everybody in here who's become a Christian at one time didn't know about God, didn't know about Jesus, and did not believe in Jesus, therefore, right? But here's what the Holy Spirit does. If you become a Christian in here, somewhere in that process, even if you were a little kid, uh, whoever was sharing the gospel with you said, you know what, you got a problem. We all have a problem. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that none is righteous, no, not one, right? You're a hot mess. I'm a hot mess. And we can't overcome the sins of our lives, the things that separate us from God, these, these uh, sins of commission, things that we choose to do, sins of omissions, things that we forget to do that God's commanded us to do. These are things that stand between us and a holy God. And if you've trusted Christ, you've understood that and said, I need to repent of those things. As part of your repentance, you realize that you can't fix those things and that you need a Savior to come in and save you from those sins. It's the same thing that happened at Pentecost. Remember Paul was preaching? And he gets to the very end of his sermon there in chapter 2 of Acts. And he says, in this Jesus, you have killed. His blood is on your hands. Kind of a rough way to end, right? I mean, it's like he accuses everybody in the streets that day of the murder of Jesus Christ. But it's after that statement that the people uh, who are listening to his message did the math. And they realized, I'm guilty. I'm a sinner. And it says in the scriptures there that they were cut to the heart. They were cut to the quick. That, that the Holy Spirit, in essence, convicted them of their sin and of their need. And they said this, well, then what should we do? And Paul says, repent, be saved. If you're a Christian in here, you have experienced this work of the Holy Spirit. He's convicted you of sin. You're like Charlotte Elliott. Who's Charlotte Elliott? Anybody know Charlotte Elliott? She's an NASCAR driver. No, that's not true. Charlotte Elliott... That's stupid. <laughs> Charlotte Elliott wrote a hymn in 1834 called Just As I Am. Who grew up at that church? Yeah, yeah they sang it every week at the church I grew up in. Just as I am without one plea. I swayed every time I sang it. But that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God. I come. Charlotte Elliott wrote that uh, only after becoming a Christian herself. She had sat in a church service. Um, uh, She was uh, an invalid, or her legs, uh, because of a disease she had that could have been cured in our days, uh, easily uh, had stopped working. And she was angry at God, bitter at God, even though she'd grown up around the faith. She had left the faith. And she came back to church uh, later in her life and sat in a church service and uh, intentionally tuned out whatever the preacher was saying in that particular service, the story goes. Uh, But as she sat there, she felt this overwhelming conviction of her anger towards God, of her bitterness towards him, of her falling away from him and and choosing not to have faith in him. Uh, She just sat in that room and just felt like, oh, God, I've done so much uh, against you and and, and, and strayed so far from you. You could never take me back. I'm, 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 I'm hopeless. I have no hope of receiving your salvation. And it's in that service that at that very moment, the story goes that the preacher, as I am wont to do sometimes, pulled away from the pulpit and pointed right at Charlotte Elliott. 
I mean, right at her face, and locked eyes with Charlotte. And she said, and even you, young lady, even you can be saved by the grace of God. That's what that preacher said that day, according to legend. And Charlotte put her faith in Jesus Christ, and shortly after that, she wrote, just as I am, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. Conviction of the Holy Spirit. That's his, <clears throat> his role is to convict us of sin. His second role is to convict us of righteousness. It says, concerning righteousness, verse 10, uh, the Holy Spirit comes to convict us of righteousness because Jesus said in this particular case, I go to the Father. I'm not going to be around anymore. You will see me no longer. Someone's got to stick around and help you guys out. While I was in India, here's the deal. They took us into parts of Mumbai uh, where, where slums had been built. And the way they built slums in Mumbai are, are well, they're cement buildings that are sometimes, well, at least one story tall, but a lot of times two stories tall. And, and the roads that they have in, in these slums aren't really roads. They're more hallways. Like you could never fit a vehicle down them. And so you're basically just walking down this series of, like, like a lot of times I had to do this to get down the spaces between these buildings. And, and the buildings are tall enough that you can't really see the sky. And, and, and you get far enough into this, you know, 100-acre uh, slum in, into these buildings, forget it. You don't know where you are. You don't know which, which direction the sun's point. You don't know anything. And it's just wall-to-wall, -wall, uh, you know, Indian people, and you're the one white guy. So here's, here's, my, here's my system. <laughs> oh, it is. It's true. Here's my system. We were, we were there with, with some of our, you know, Christian brothers and, uh, and, and they were walking us through the slums, and here's what I did. I just, I didn't touch them, but I just stayed right behind the Indian. That was the whole plan. Some of the other Americans had been there before, and they were all like, you know, gung-ho, you know, Davy Crockett being like, oh, walk through the slums. And I was like, hey, good knowing you. See you later, right? I'm staying with the guy who knows and sticking with him through this journey came the mantra. Oddly enough, in India, we had a mantra. Stick with the Indians. They know where they're going. Uh, Jesus had, had been this uh, for the disciples up to this point. He says, I've physically lived with you. I've shown you the faith. I've shown you how to walk in the faith. You've seen me do miracles. You've heard me teach. I'm leaving. I've got to leave someone in, the, in my stead who's going to guide you. Going back to the phone, it's not unlike these maps apps that we have on here. It used to be that if we wanted to know how to get somewhere, we had to call the person, write down lefts, rights, left, rights, turn at the church, you're there, right? But now... All we need is an address. Beep, boop, beep, boop, right? And then we just let this voice on this electronic box turn left in 200 feet. In two miles, you will merge onto I-75. Uh, you know, if you, if you miss a turn, what do they say? Rerouting. Happy to help, right? You're a bozo. You should have turned there, but I'll keep helping. That's the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives, right? It's not the physical presence of God and the Son but it's the spiritual presence, it's the voice, it's the God. In fact, Jesus talks about that a little bit later in this same teaching. In verse 13 of John 16, he says, when the spirit of truth comes, when I leave and he replaces me in, in this guidance uh, you know, role, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. He's not going to you know, be this rebel. He's going to always be in tune with the Father and with the Son. And whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Verse 14 says, uh, he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. He becomes our guide. The Holy Spirit uh, wants to lead us into righteousness. If you have a, a faith in Jesus Christ today, uh, there are things that God hopes for you, things that he hopes that you do, and there are things that he hopes you don't do. There are things that will glorify him in your life, and there's, there's things that are going to glorify you and subsequently not glorify him. And the Holy Spirit's job is to prompt you in your conscience, in your prayers, in your thinking towards the things that will bring righteousness, things that will glorify God, and away from the things that will limit themselves in glorifying you. We'll talk more about that a little bit later. But the third thing I want to talk to you about is the third thing that Jesus says the Holy Spirit does, and that's that the Holy Spirit convicts us of current and coming judgment. Look what it says in verse 11 of John 16. It says the Holy Spirit convicts concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. doesn't use the future tense, which I'm going to bring into this in a second, but he says the ruler of this world is judged. Now, if a pastor asks you who the world, ruler of the world is, uh, who would you say he is? 
Satan, good. Some of you have paid attention to Scripture. A lot of times when a pastor asks you a question, you just say Jesus. And that would make sense because Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. Everybody agree with me on that? But for a time, in this era that we live in, God has, in his wisdom, allowed for Satan to have some power in the world that we exist in. He's also listed in other parts of Scripture as the prince of the power of the air. He's the prince of the present age. But here in this text, as Paul's talking about, excuse me, as Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit, he says the Holy Spirit's going to come, he's going to convict you of sin, he's going to convict you of righteousness, he's going to lead you out of sin and into what will glorify God, but he's also going to convince you or convict you of the coming judgment or the judgment that has already occurred. Here, here's, here's the great, this is so great. Uh, Satan thought that the cross was the judgment against Jesus, that if I could just kill the Son of God, it will show that he's a fraud, that he is not able to overcome me. I will be victorious, and I will be judged the winner, right? And so Jesus dies. He goes to the grave, and for that many hours, however many hours it was, 48 hours, uh, whatever the next number would be, three days. Anyway, Satan's probably feeling like, buh, 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 buh. He's feeling strong, right? But then Easter comes. And Easter morning, the stone in front of Jesus' grave rolls away. And Jesus walks out and says, ha! I'm the winner. And you are judged to be the fraud that you are. Jesus says that. The judgment is coming for the prince. It's, it's here. The, 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 the prince of this world the ruler of this world is judged. We know from Revelation and other parts of Scripture that the ruler of this world is going to be judged again. Jesus is going to come back or we're going to go to him, whichever comes first, but there's going to be an end to this world and when the world ends, Jesus is going to come back. You know what he's going to do then? He came first to save. Uh, that was his first coming, okay, to die for us and all that stuff. But his second coming, it's, he's here to judge. And he's going to look at every one of us and he's going to say, well, ask just a couple questions. He's not going to ask you how much money you made. He's not going to ask you what you did at your jobs, who you married, who you loved, all those things. Those are great. Don't get me wrong. Do those things. Enjoy those things. Honor God in those things. But when he comes back, here's what he's going to, he's going to ask you. He's going to say, hey, did I know you? Did you know me? Was your faith in me and in me alone to save you from your sins? The only other question he's going to ask, if that's true, that you did those things, what, what did you do that honored and glorified me? And the rest of it's going to go away. Well, there's going to be a lot of us who can answer, you know, right now in the affirmative and say, yeah, I put my faith in you. Bay Life Church, Kittapalooza, 2017. Some of those kids with those roses up there, they're going to be able to say that. I put my faith in you. And he's going to say, welcome, sister, brother. You are a child of the king. But some of us, we haven't done that yet. And if Jesus came back this afternoon, we couldn't ask for more time. We couldn't say, well, I was, you know, I was getting used to the idea. Mark talked about it this morning at church. I was moving in that direction. And Jesus is going to be like, no, I'm here to judge now. I came to save. I'm here to judge. You're either with me or you're without me. And then eternity begins. Actually, we're already in it, but eternity continues. Are you with me? That's what the Holy Spirit's, some of his role is. There's so much more. But he's the convictor, the guide. He convicts us of our sin and guides us away from it into faith in Christ. He convicts us of righteousness and guides it into it so we honor Christ. He convicts us that this is serious, that there's a whole world that doesn't know Jesus yet, and Jesus is going to come back the second time and be the judge, and it's our mission as a church to make sure as many come with us into eternity having faith in Christ as we can possibly share the gospel with. That's why we want to get involved in India. In India, they worship idols. This is a, a picture of what happens on a a typical cab there in, in America, it'd be Mary or some saint from the Catholic faith a lot of times. But over there, it's, you know, some elephant-headed Buddha uh, named Ganesh. I called him Chocolate Ganesh because I was really starving for American food. Uh, Would have died for some chocolate cake. But anyway, uh, uh, you drive along the, the, the country roads out there, and where there would be churches dotting the, the countryside, there are huge temples, 90-foot structures of of you know, the nine-armed god of this. and the, There's 33 million gods in the Hindu faith and all, like hundreds of millions of people in India alone have no idea of the judgment that's coming. And it's the church's um, hope to share the good news of Jesus with them and let the Holy Spirit convict them of their need for Christ. So 
That's kind of Holy Spirit 101, but let's talk about this text that we're in in Acts, and let's just finish up by saying, answering this question uh, briefly in a couple different ways. How then should I live the Spirit-led life? These, these guys, these disciples that Paul meets in, in the book of Acts, they don't even know who the Holy Spirit is. So three things then that we need in order to live the Spirit-led life. The first one's probably obvious. You've got to be sure you believe the right good news. You've you got to have the right gospel to receive the Holy Spirit. Here, here's what it says, uh, Paul says to them. He says, Unto what were you baptized? What did faith do you identify with? What, 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 what have you been believing? Uh, and they said, well, we were baptized into John's baptism. Uh, these guys, you know, had, had, had the, the pregame, the, 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 the pre-understanding of what it is to be saved. They were prepared for the Messiah to come. They just didn't know that he'd, he'd arrived. And so Jesus says to them, well, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, of preparation uh, for the coming of the Messiah, telling people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, and then he gives a name to the Messiah, Jesus, right? And we don't have the whole story of the conversation between Paul and these guys, but he must have explained the gospel to these guys. He must explain that Jesus came. He was born in Nazareth. Nobody saw that coming. And he came, you know, he was just a, a humble carpenter, and he, but he, he did these incredible miracles, walked on water, fed 5,000, blah, 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 blah. And, and then he went to Jerusalem, and during Passover, he died, like he was killed, he was, he was crucified on a Roman cross, but he didn't stay dead and he explained the whole gospel and it's in him that we put our faith, it's in him that we've been awaiting the arrival and, and, and that's what these guys heard and believed. It says, verse five, on hearing this, verse five, yeah, on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Back uh, in those days, and it still should be in these days, if you put your faith in Christ, as an inner decision, as an outward expression of that inner decision, you get baptized. And so uh, we, we assume it was Paul, but Paul took these early disciples of John, shared the gospel with them, they trusted in Jesus, and he dunked them and identified them with the person of Christ. Uh, we can assume that they were earnest, they were interested. They struck a conversation with Paul because he worshiped the Jewish God, Yahweh, and so did they. But they just hadn't gotten the full story. That's what happens in churches all the time. You might be sitting here thinking, well, I'm a Christian. I'm American. We're all Christians in America. I mean, somehow. I'm a Christian. My parents are. It's genetic. It just gets passed down. It's DNA. I'm Christian. I'm at church. I mean, that's where Christians go. If so, de facto, Christian. But none of these things make I'm Christian, I'm good. Whatever that is. We've got all these things in our head that we say, well, I'm Christian. And I would submit to you that all of those things I just described make you Christian-y. But not necessarily Christian. Those who have the right gospel, who understand it's not by my works, it's not by my location, it's not by my genetic material, it's by my faith that I am saved. By grace and through faith, not by works, so that no man can boast. Too many people you know, get the half message. In, in uh, 1815, uh, England and France were locked in uh, a, a battle that was basically going to be the determiner of both countries' future. It's called the Battle of, of Waterloo. This guy Napoleon was fighting for the French, and this guy named Wellington was the general for the English and uh, the way they got news out back then is someone would go up on a huge tower in London and he would wave flags. It was called semaphores. It was basically variable signs, that, like an early in, in course uh, Morse code. And so uh, <laughs> the battle raged and everybody was waiting for news about who the victor was. And so finally someone goes up, everybody in London's looking, and this guy starts waving his flags. And he spells out the words, Wellington, defeated. And then this huge fog rolls in, and no one can see the flag waver anymore. And so all, all of uh, England uh, has you know, people watching and interpreting, and they, they get the message, and it spreads like wildfire that Wellington was defeated, the French have won, and things are going to change in London. But then the sun came out, and the fog lifted, and the flag guy was still up on the tower. And people are like, wait a minute, he's not done. So he starts the message again, Wellington defeated the French. And they got the whole story, and it changed the whole thing. And when you, listen, when you hear the gospel and understand the gospel fully, it changes the whole arc of your life. If you want to be spirit-led, you've got to receive the Holy Spirit. The only way to receive the Holy Spirit 
is to truly have faith in Christ and to be saved from your sins by what he accomplished on the cross. The second thing is if you're going to live the Spirit-led life, you've got to let the Spirit lead. Everybody say, duh. <laughs> but you've you got to do that. You've got to let the Spirit lead. Look what happens with these guys. Uh, when, when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they began speak, speaking in tongues and prophesying. Now, depending on which church you grew up in, uh, that might be taught in different ways. In the charismatic uh, faith or a charismatic experience, uh, they're going to see this as the second blessing, that Paul baptized them. They were <clears throat> found to have faith in Jesus Christ, and then he put his hands on them. And as soon as he put his hands on them, the Holy Spirit started flowing in miraculous ways to where they could speak in tongues and prophesy. Um, certainly that did happen. I'm not disputing that that happened. But I'm not saying that that's normative. Uh, um, in fact, there's, there's only one other time in the book of Acts that there's a laying on of hands and that the Holy Spirit is manifested in this way. Uh, it's certainly not something that was expressed every time someone trusted Christ. Uh, but in this particular instance, absolutely, it happened. Okay? I grew up in churches that... Uh, were called cessationist churches. They basically said that the sign gifts that we read about in all the story of the book of Acts with people speaking in tongues and all that stuff, uh, they were for a period of time in the early church and they ceased to exist after the early church had been established. The early church didn't have scripture. The early church didn't have church tradition. They needed all of these miracles to affirm what the disciples were saying and teaching. And so these sign gifts were manifested in those periods of time alone. After that, they, they were done and they weren't meant to be used anymore. That's where I grew up, Okay. Other people grow up in uh, a faith that says the sign gifts are for now. And in fact, in some places, which I think are a little bit more uh, overcooked in their understanding of, of, of sign gifts, they say that if you don't experience the sign gifts, you haven't experienced the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit isn't yours until you speak in tongues or until you prophesy. Uh, I don't see this anywhere in Scripture, but they twist some things to make it work that way. Uh, guess where I am now? Anybody want to know where I am, where your pastor is in this theology? I have adopted the whatever theology. Here's why. Can I say that my brothers and sisters who come from a charismatic background aren't experiencing the sign gifts as the Holy Spirit leads them to? No, I'm not the Holy Spirit. I'm not the fourth member of the Trinity. Not my call. Are you with me? Can I say that they, uh, you know, like my brothers and sisters over here grew up, uh, that they absolutely uh, haven't stopped and that, that that's how, no, I can't say that either. I'm just not smart enough. So here's where I stand, firmly in the middle with the conviction that this is a minor issue, not a major one. Shouldn't, and listen, there's, there's been fewer things uh, in the, in the tr Christian tradition that have divided churches more than this issue. It's, it's devastating. Uh, you, you got the varsity Christians over here. Uh, some believe in the charismatic faith who have experienced the Holy Spirit in, in the real way that he's meant to be spirit, experienced. And then you got you know, the JV over here and the ones who have it. Uh, that's just not what I believe. I believe that when, here's how I, I don't believe in second blessing. I believe in the first blessing. There's one faith, one God, Ephesians 4, 5 says, and one baptism. And when you receive the Holy Spirit, it comes not through you getting wet, not through you getting some hands put on you. It comes when you say yes to Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit comes all in, all at once, all there. Are you with me? And if he leads you to speak in tongues, God bless you, go and do it. He's never led me to speak in tongues. Yeah, I'm open to him, do him doing that if he wants to but I've never felt the need, and I don't feel like I'm any less because I haven't. Are you with me? So what can we say about this text then? If it's not a commentary on whether we should be experiencing sign gifts or not, what is it? it well, it basically says <laughs> when, when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, it should show up. When you make a decision for Jesus Christ, some stuff should change. You should look different. The Holy Spirit should be in charge. Tristan, come on up here. Here's how a lot of times it happens. Everybody welcome Tristan. He's a fine young man, plays football at Bloomington High School. He's well-groomed. He showered this morning. You're going to be the Christian. Okay? Right. How you doing, bro? Good. Good to see you. In this example, Tristan is you guys. Tristan the Christian. Hey, that worked out great. Appreciate you doing that. I obviously am the Holy Spirit. All right, here we go. <laughs> Maybe not. So here, here's how it happens. So, so when, when Tristan puts his faith in Jesus Christ, I come aboard, right? You can put your arm around me. Just be friendly. Here we go. So here we go. And this is how a lot of us picture the Christian faith. Uh, Christian and spirit go through life. And they start walking, and they're doing things that they want to do. But then sometimes Tristan wants to do what he wants to do, so drag me over there. And so he drags me into whatever he wants to do, and the Holy Spirit has to go with him. Oh. But then maybe Sunday comes, and he gets convicted, 
And now he comes back with me and we start doing what we're supposed to do. And it's kind of this all the time in life. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? It's just, oh. Well, it's because this is not how it's supposed to work. This is not the setup. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, here's how it's supposed to work. Hop on. (laughs) This is the Christian life. So wherever the Holy Spirit wants me to go, I go. Whatever the Holy Spirit leads me to say, I say. Whatever the Holy Spirit inspires me to think, I think you're way heavier than the first guy. (laughs) This is what it is to live a Holy Spirit-led life. I don't have a say-so. Christians don't have. The Holy Spirit has the say-so. Get off of me. <laughs> Thanks, bro. That was fun. Yeah, so now, I'm out of time. So now, here, here's my hope in talking about this. It's so important that we get this as followers of Jesus Christ. Because here, here we'll, we'll close this way. There's three different kinds of people in here right now. Okay, spiritually speaking, three different kinds. There are those who are not yet Christians, and if that's you this morning, I'm so glad you're here. Because you came this morning, I believe, with the express purpose, God's express hope for you, is that you would finally get the gospel straight. Like if you've always come to church and thought that was it, I'm here to tell you that's not enough. If you've been a part of a Christian family and thought, done, mom and dad will be Christian for me, that's, that's not it. You have to choose. You have to admit your sin. You have to repent of that sin. And you have to find your Savior. Your Savior is only one person. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's Jesus, God's Son. And if you're not yet a Christian, I pray you find him today. And you you surrender your life to him. When you do, the Holy Spirit will come in. And you can start going on the piggyback with him. Okay? Now, there's a bunch of you in here who are committed Christians. Varying degrees, but... But you at least understand that the Holy Spirit's supposed to have his say-so, and you on you know, varying levels are trying to let him lead you in life. God bless you. I mean, honestly, that's not just a phrase I throw out. May God bless you in your pursuit of what the Holy Spirit desires for your life. May he honor you as you seek to honor him. May he enable you to go in places that you, know, you, you maybe <laughs> don't want to go, to surrender to him in circumstances you didn't ask for. May, may you, If you're a committed Christian, may God truly bless you this morning as you seek to surrender daily to the Spirit. But here's the third group. In this room and in every room in America right now meeting for church are a bunch of Christians who used to be committed, but are just kind of on break. Because here's the deal. Once you, tell me if this isn't the arc of most people's spiritual experience. Uh, Realize they're not saved Find Christ, spike, love Jesus, want to honor Jesus, do things for Jesus, get active in church, do all these great things, da, 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 da. Five years, 10 years. Christianity's normal. Sunday's just what I do. I'm here again. And there hasn't been this vibrancy. Here's why you got out of the piggyback and you went arm in arm again. And you've been dragging the Holy Spirit back and forth to all the stuff that honors your life, that makes you feel fulfilled, ignoring completely his plan for you. All right, I'm calling for a stop to that kind of life. I'm calling for everybody in here, part of the church that's called the sleeping giant. The Christians are like, meh but not willing to do anything. I want you to understand, listen, God has bigger things in store for all of us if we would simply hop on and let the Spirit lead. I'm not saying they're going to be dramatically different things, although they might be. Can I throw that in real quick? A lot of us, we get kind of used to the American way, the American things, the American stuff. It's my job. This is my family. This is where I live, blah, blah, blah. That's it. And we just kind of coast to the end Retirement, boca, boom, right? But I would, I would be willing to, to guess that God has some extraordinary things on the horizon for some of us 
if we would just be willing to meet him in those things. Maybe not everybody. It's certainly not a sin to live your life in Brandon, Florida for the rest of it. But are you open to whatever the Holy Spirit might say? Are you open to do whatever the Holy Spirit might lead you to do? Could you go tomorrow to work and if the Holy Spirit said, say, go talk to your friend on the other side of the cubicle, invite him to church, tell him the gospel, would you and I be willing to do that? Because that's what, or at least is endemic of, a Holy Spirit-led life. So I'm calling for a stop to the coast, to just kind of being Christian but not living Christian. If you're not yet following, follow him. If you are following, may God persist as you seek to surrender and serve the Holy Spirit in you. But if you're just kind of dead to him, wake up. It's time to follow Jesus, to be led by his spirit, and to honor him in all things. Let me pray to that end. God, thanks for your grace to us. Even letting us uh, hear your word. Uh, you know, I'm not saying I'm the best preacher. I'm not even close. But just to even have a, an opportunity to be in a place like this, to hear your word uh, spoken and, and to understand the truth about you, just thanks. That's, a, that's an incredible grace. Thanks for being willing to save us, for sending Jesus to die on our behalf. Uh, thanks for once we have trusted Jesus, giving us the spirit uh, to guide us in life. Forgive us for when we overemphasize and de-emphasize him in life. Uh, help us just to be in the center of, his, of your will for us as the Spirit leads us. Uh, and, and, and may we follow him always. I want to pray for the people who don't know you yet here. I pray that today's their day. May they cross the line, put their faith in Christ. I want to pray for the people who uh, do know you and who seek uh, daily to follow you and honor you. Um, help, help all of us in that, God, so that we have your best for our lives and you have the best uh, of, of our thoughts and our actions and our words to glorify you and to, and to, and to move your kingdom forward uh, through us. Uh, but Lord, I want to pray especially for people who just kind of, you know, we're existing in this Christian life and, and we haven't um, sensed the leading of your spirit uh, in a long time because we've just been unwilling uh, to surrender to you. Uh, would you open our hearts to you again, God? Would you lead us uh, to that surrender uh, where the spirit can move us and direct us in life? Uh, Help us to be sensitive to you, God, I pray as a church. And then as we together commit to being spirit-led in life, would you use us as a church to make your name famous here in this community, to be used to glorify you around the world, whether it's in India or Africa or Latin America or wherever you use us. Uh, may we be mobilized, God, by uh, the power of your spirit as we follow your spirit uh, to make much of you. And I pray that all in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.